Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Approximately 1 million Australians are living with an eating disorder in any given year. That is 4% of the population. Today, I'm going to be speaking about a very specific eating disorder, anorexia nervosa, which affects 3% of the Australian population. And remember, these are just reported cases. So there may be many people out there struggling with this eating disorder that haven't even got recognized or diagnosed. And with me today is a special guest, Nikki Wishart, who has gone through anorexia nervosa and is going to speak to us about the topic. Welcome to today's episode on What's Eating You. Say hello to my special guest, Nikki Wishart. Hey, Nikki. Hello. Thank you so much for having me today on the podcast. I'm super excited to come and chat with you and share my story and talk a little bit about um, my eating disorder. Yes, and I'm so excited to have you here because you are the one in three people who have actually successfully and fully recovered from anorexia nervosa. And that is such an alarming statistic that only one in three people fully recover. I don't think that I even knew that statistic until you told me. And I went, wow, that is astonishing that Mm -hmm. only one in three people ever fully recover from it. And I'm so glad that that's me. I am so glad. I'm living my life to the fullest now because of that decision. Yes, and I really hope anyone listening to this who is struggling with disordered eating or any type of eating disturbance can take away that you actually can recover and get better. And we're going to go into the story, but Nikki was you know, moments away from being in a really critical condition and really almost didn't make it out. So we're going to go into that. But first, I'll just tell you how we met. So back in the Instagram days, I used to run a group called Brunch Club and people would come and learn about social media. We'd have brunch. And Nikki, tell us a little bit about what brought you to that event where we first met. Wow. Oh my gosh. Looking back on that, I think I would have been on Instagram. I was searching through things. I don't even know how I came across your page, to be honest. (laughs) But I saw you advertising that you were doing this brunch club thing. And I went, I really want to meet some new people. 
I want to branch out. I was looking at new things to do. And I went, this is going to be a really great challenge for me. I had just started my eating disorder recovery. And I think I was in that mindset of like, no, I really need to challenge myself. I need to try new things. I need to meet new people. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made because I met so many people at that event, including you. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I remember seeing you and you'd come alone and it was completely out of your comfort zone because I would have imagined starting a recovery journey, a lot of anxiety would have come with that. So yeah, I want to commend you on coming (laughs) to that because it sounds like it's opened up a lot of opportunities and helped you. But I guess I want to know, how did it start? Like, how did you get to that point of receiving Mm. a diagnosis of anorexia? I think for my entire life, without having knowledge of it, I had disordered eating. Mm. I wasn't really aware that that's what it was, but I would do things like hide my sandwiches and throw away food and awful things that I look back now and I go, oh, wow, I really had a pattern of disordered eating back then. But it wasn't until um, after high school that I really had serious issues with um, restricting myself. Mm. I think that I started going to the gym. I saw a lot of success there. And as someone who has a perfectionist and has those tendencies, mm-hmm. seeing numbers on the scale drop and getting positive comments from people that you have known your entire life. Oh, wow, you look so great. Oh, wow, you've lost so much weight. You get addicted to it. And I think that was one element of it. And then obviously a lot of eating disorders can start because of traumatic events or traumatic things that happen in your life. And I think that I was trying to control all of these things that had happened previously to me through controlling my food. Mm. It was the one thing in my life I could go, wow, I have security around this and how much I'm eating and what I'm doing with it. And it's working. Mm. Um, and it was 2019 that things got really, really bad. Well, it was 20 end of 2018, start of 2019 that I was diagnosed with anorexia because I just could never get enough. Mm. The satisfaction of seeing those numbers go down and being so-called skinny and getting gratification from the people around me just propelled me to continue doing it. There was a point where all I was eating for the day was a bag of lettuce. Oh, my gosh. And I worked as a bartender and I walked Mm. 15,000 steps a day. And I look back on that now and I go, how did I function day to day? Yeah. And I think your story is really unique, Nikki, because you seem both ends of the spectrum. It wasn't like you were at an average weight, wanting to lose weight. I recall you telling me you were actually overweight. So at your, I guess, heaviest point, mm. if you don't mind sharing, what was that like? And then what was it like going to the extreme opposite at your lowest point? It's really funny having that experience of both sides of the spectrum because I actually feel like I was less insecure and less body conscious at a heavier weight because I didn't know anything else. Wow. I think once I became really skinny and anorexic, it was, well, now I've got to maintain this and I've got to hold on to this and I've got to keep this because people have seen me do something that they deem successful. Mm. And if I go back on that, then people are going to think I've failed. Yeah. But I think having the perspective of the two sides of the spectrum really shocked me because of the way people treated me. Yes. And I want to talk about that because I work with a lot of, you know, 
clients who are overweight and they talk to me about this fat phobia and people who are fat phobic. And I just cannot believe the comments people make. So I'm curious to know, how do people treat you differently? I, it's hard to even put it into words, but it was almost like people respected me more Mm -hmm. when I was deemed society's perfect standard. Yeah. I think that people wanted to hear what I had to say. People wanted to listen to me. And I didn't realize what was happening to me when I was at my heavier weight until I had got to the point where I was so underweight that it was unhealthy. And I realized, oh, wow, people take me seriously now Mm. because I am blonde, I am skinny, and I'm white, basically. Yeah. I'm that society standard of what a perfect female was in those times. Yes. And that is really messed up. And it played such a mind game with me because I was like, wow, if I revert now, then I'm going to go back to this whole wishy-washy fat phobia stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to go back there. Um, so it was, I think I have that unique experience. I'm sure there's other people out there, but for me, I went so drastically from overweight to being diagnosed with anorexia in about six months. Wow. So it was a really rapid journey and it's, it's crazy to hear how people do treat you differently based on your body weight, shape and size. And if you're listening to this and you've experienced this, let us know because I think it's out there more than we would like to admit. And mm. yeah, it, it would be hard because like you said, it's so positively reinforcing, weight loss is praised, but what you really don't know is someone may be going through an eating disorder because they come at all shapes, all heights, all sizes, mm. all ages, and you just really know, never know what someone is going through. I think so. And I think commentary I've learned to be more careful about my commentary of other people now that I've been through this because until I had gone through this experience, I didn't realize that making comments like, oh my God, you look so good now. And mm-hmm. oh my God, I love that you've got so healthy. And uh, it's just, it can also be very toxic for someone who is going through an eating disorder and you might not even know it yet. Yes. So just being careful about how you approach someone's lifestyle change mm-hmm. um, can be very important because of course you can acknowledge those things. If someone really is like changing their life around, you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. But it's just the way you phrase it and how you say it to someone I think can change their perception in their mind of what their goals are. Yes. Um, yes. And I think for anyone listening and you're not really sure what anorexia nervosa is, I've done a few videos on my TikTok because there is anorexia and then there's atypical anorexia. And what we see with anorexia is the main, I guess, criteria is being significantly underweight in conjunction with having restrictive eating practices, Mm -hmm. regardless of the requirements that you need. It's impacting on your life. So I, I guess I'm just curious to know, Nikki, Mm-hmm. Apart from being underweight, what mm-hmm. kind of behaviors led you to this diagnosis? Like what were you doing and what was the impact of that, physical, emotional, all of that? I think that I had uh, – I was diagnosed with anorexia because, as you said, I met the physical criteria. Um, I don't think that anorexia is just a physical – it's a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also, you know, binging and 
purging and all, all of those sorts of things, hiding food, weighing food, being obsessed with numbers. I also think that I had an element of orthorexia, mm. exercising two to three times a day, never wow. being enough. So I think that I had so many symptoms and so many elements of all the sorts of um, eating disorders you can be diagnosed with, um, which resulted in anorexia. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. And at your, say, let's say your most severe or your lowest point, like take me through some of the typical routines or rituals you would have at probably your worst. And just a trigger warning for anyone listening, you may want to skip this part. Yeah. I think for me, every single day was the same. I had to eat the same meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but also. I would restrict and binge and I would, it's like those cheat day philosophies. Mm. Oh, well, I've gone a whole week of eating 500 calories. So today I can eat whatever I want and make myself sick. I became addicted to laxatives. Mm. Um, I used them to the point where I, I would take a whole strip after Jeez. I've had dinner and the pain that that made me feel, I can't even describe it. Like, no human is supposed to take that many laxatives. Um, but there was just so many elements of my life that were controlled by this thing. Yeah. I Yeah, I was stuck in it. But in terms of the actions but then also the symptoms that weren't just, you know, restricting my eating, like I noticed when I sat down, I was like, I was really uncomfortable. I have no flesh on his bones my butt basically it was just bones I remember I still have a bracelet that my mum gave me um before I started recovery and it's almost like a really perfect reminder of how far I've come because of the way where I used to hook it and where I hook it now mm. and for me that's a really beautiful thing because yeah. it used to be I used to be able to fit my thumb and my pointer finger around like yes wrapped around my wrist they were tiny like Oh wow! I'm just we're just going around our wrist now to, to see <laughs> anyone listening. You can't see it, but I could probably wrap it around, and they would go to like halfway down my pointer finger. My wrists were tiny, and I would hook that bracelet on the last last mm. loop. And I look at that now, and I'm like, wow, that's such a reminder of how far I've come. But you just become so physically uncomfortable. The osteopenia or the bone density you lose, and I lost a lot of my hair. My face was completely sunken in. Mm-hmm. I, not to be too graphic, but you look like a walking skeleton when you're at that point. Yes. Your body is shutting down every function it can to keep you alive. Yes. And I remember seeing your videos in the gym. And I actually wanted to ask you because a lot of people with anorexia or body dysmorphia don't tend to take photos or videos, but you actually have videos of you in the gym. And I'm wondering when someone sees that it's, you're like, wow, like that's extremely thin. Mm. Could you see that back then? Did you actually know how thin you looked or would you look at those videos as just a person correcting their form or? I think I would, there's one particular video that I have of me doing pull-ups in the gym. And I look at that now and I go, wow, that is one unwell person. Mm. But back then, I just thought I was skinny. Mm -hmm. But then I also looked at that then and I went, I'm not skinny enough. Yes. But with the perspective I have now, 
I look almost dead in that video. Yeah. I remember I got on one of those body fat scales. And at that point I had 6% body fat. Jeez. Did you lose your period? Yes. Yeah. Wow. So your body shuts down every function that's not necessary for you to survive. So you will lose, you know, I lost my period. I lost all of these sorts of body regulators um, that you don't need to survive. You would have been freezing all the time. (laughs) My, the people that own the gym I go to, used to make jokes and they're actually some of the first people that pointed out my eating disorder, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Mm -hmm. And they really helped me through in a really nurturing way before I had accepted recovery myself. So they were trying to put up boundaries for me. Um, yeah, that would help me in a way or put, not push me towards, but sort of guide me towards maybe you should change how you're doing things. But I used to wear a Kathmandu jumper, like thermals, three different top layers, a scarf, a beanie, and I was still cold. And in summer I would wear tracksuit pants and a jumper and I'd be like, oh, it's 34 degrees, but I'm freezing. It's funny because you try so hard to get this thin body and then once you're thin, you can't even show it <laughs> because you're freezing. Did you notice sometimes when people have such low body fat or they're going through anorexia, they grow a gray hair on their body called lanugo to keep themselves warm. Did you have that at all? Or? Yeah, so I got that on my arms, particularly my upper arms. Um, and I was constantly like had goosebumps, mm. but I did grow that hair all pretty much all over my body. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very thin hair. And I don't think I noticed it until right at the end. Um, but it was my body telling me that mm. we can't regulate your temperature right now because there's not enough of you. Yeah. So we're going to grow hair all over your body just to sort of keep you warm enough to survive, mm. which is pretty confronting. And I think for me, you know, losing chunks of my hair was gosh, was really confronting because it's almost like, oh, God, I've gone too far now, but my mind isn't ready to commit to it. So is this just going to be my life? Yes. And you start having those thoughts of, well, I guess this is just my life now. I'm going to be constantly cold. Um, everything sort of aches. And I was losing parts of me that, especially at that point, you're so focused and so determined to keep your appearance the way it is. Mm-hmm. When parts of your appearance literally start to fall away, yeah, it's that loss of control because for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people, it is a, it, it's a control mechanism Yes, to control parts of your life that are scary and that are sometimes uncontrollable. You feel safe in this bubble of anorexia. Mm. And it's so interesting. I call it the perception of control. I don't know if you'll agree with this, but a lot of people come to me and say, you know, it's about control. But then I think if you are so controlled with what you eat, how much you eat, Mm. isn't the food controlling you? I absolutely agree with you. I actually think that you are setting up boundaries within your life and you are controlled by the food and by these things because at the end of the day when you have that level of an eating disorder and you're that consumed by that voice in your mind you're actually not doing the things you want to do in life yes and I would perceive control now as choosing to go out to dinner Yes. And having control over those things, being like, hey, I'm going to go out and eat and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But back then for me, 
control was I'm going to eat the same thing every single day so I know exactly what I'm eating, when I'm eating it, how much I'm consuming. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to ask two more questions before we wrap up this episode. A lot of people develop rituals or develop compulsive behaviors. Do you think there's an overlap with OCD or do you think people with eating disorders have such rigid thinking that they get stuck in repetitive behaviors because it increases their anxiety when they're not did basically my question is did you ever struggle with rituals or obsessive compulsive tendencies um i think that people who are perfectionists who have ocd tendencies have a exposure to having an eating disorder i Mm. think that they're very similar sort of mechanisms i'm no professional but i personally for my entire life was a bit of a ocd freak Mm. couldn't go to sleep without my room being clean everything has to be color coordinated things have to be labeled and put in certain spots otherwise i feel uncomfortable and my body gets physically stressed and i think that that has been something i've had since I was a child mm-hmm. um, and my parents point that sort of stuff out and I'm still like that today. Everything's ordered, everything's neat, everything has to be put in its place unless I get stressed out. Um, and I think that having an eat- eating disorder um, was definitely almost a result of those tendencies being exposed to some sort of event mm. um, and finding another avenue to keep things in order yeah wow just the perfectionism manifests in a different way and i think clinical perfectionism is such an overlap in many disorders and it Mm -hmm. yeah comes through in all different shapes actions and ways and i guess the final question i have on this part of our podcast is i remember you telling me you're at the doctor and you received some pretty alarming news take us through that experience I think that doctor's appointment was one at the time that I was completely outraged by. And it was really interesting because I think my mum was trying to support me in that way. But she was like, that was a really uncomfortable doctor's appointment. They, you know, they shouldn't have said it that way. But I look at it now and I'm like, she probably was thinking, how am I going to help my kid? Like this doctor has just told me some really, really stressful and traumatic news. Um, basically for everyone listening, I went to the GP to get it wasn't for anything that was happening with my eating disorder. I think I went to get a prescription or something. And as part of the routine checks, she weighed me. Um, She took the weight and she went, okay, cool. Um, Did you see the weight or the number of the weight? Yeah. When the doctor weighed you, did you actually see your weight or did she weigh you backwards? Because sometimes doctors weigh you backwards. I saw my weight because I – was presenting as I don't have an eating disorder Mm -hmm. Um, and she hadn't really approached that topic yet. I was, I think, 41 kilo. I was tiny. How old were you? I would have been 18 or 19. Wow. But I was 41 kilos. I look at that now and I go, that is tiny. Yeah. That's so tiny. I got to 39. I think that was my lowest, 38, 39. Um. But she weighed me and then she sat my mum and I down and she went, okay, so what are we going to do about this? And I went, about what? And she went, you're three days away from dying. 
If you, don't, if you don't do anything, you're going to die in three days. You have three days to live, basically. And to hear that from a doctor, I went home and I cried. Because I think somewhere deep down inside me, I, I knew what I was doing. And I knew that I felt like at that point I couldn't change what I was doing. Shivers. So it's oh, a really bumps. confronting thing to hear when you're at the point in your eating disorder where you haven't accepted you need to recover yet. And you feel like there's no way out of this compulsive behavior that you're, you're mm. participating in. And what um, was the reason that you were potentially going to die? Well, I think I had had blood tests because of just general checkup stuff. And I've had previous health conditions prior to this eating disorder. So I always sort of go to the GP to check things up. I had low iron. So I think they did a blood test for my iron. And in terms of the stuff that came back on that blood test, white counts, my white cell counts were completely down. Like every, all my vital functions were extremely low. Wow. To the point where if I had got a cold or if I got sick, that that's what they mean. You could die and your body would shut down. Yeah. You had no way of. Yeah managing that because it's all on the inside and you don't see the damage that it causes psychologically, physically, mentally. And if you're anyone listening to this and you are in an eating disorder or think you may have disordered eating, please go seek support. Remember, there is no such thing as sick enough. Wherever Mm -hmm. you're at, it can always get worse and it will. These things don't resolve on their own. And speaking of treatment, in the next episode, we're going to speak to Nikki about how she actually got better, how she escaped that eating disorder mindset and fully recovered and got onto the other things in life she wanted to do. So a massive thank you, Nikki, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.